Well, what if I told you I have a very wealthy uncle? He is so wealthy. And he doesn't have any children to give his inheritance to. And so as he's aging, he is just looking for ways to give away his money. In fact, he gave my husband and I $500,000. And he loves Compass so much. He told me to find 10 Compass people who will use their money well, and he wants to give them this same gift. Of course, at this point, you know that this is not a real story. But let's just say that it was. And I come up to you afterwards and I say, do you want to be one of those 10 people? I, I can tell you, it's for real. Look at my bank account. He really gave me that much money and he's really looking to give that much money away. The thing is, you just got to drive. He lives like two hours away or so. You're gonna have to get in the car, you're gonna have to drive, there might be traffic. Would you do it? Would it be worth the drive? Let's say you don't even have a car that works. Would it be worth the hassle of finding some kind of way to get over there, take a two hour drive to receive that kind of gift? Of course, of course it would be worth it. That is quite the offer. Well, God has an offer on the table, if you will. We saw it in the passage that we studied this week, and it is far greater than $500,000 or really any amount of money. It is sanctification. God is wanting to give you holiness, and not just in eternity, here and now, very practically speaking, God wants to give his children, he plans to give his children holiness, to make them more sanctified, to make them more like they were meant to be. And God said, he is going to do that work in you. And yes, it's going to take effort. It's not going to be instant, but still, God said he was going to do this work and he is trustworthy. When he says he is going to do something, he will. Sanctification guaranteed. Talk about a worthwhile deal. If God says, I am going to sanctify you, you ought to take him up on that offer. And that is exactly what I hope we are excited to do as we jump into 1 Thessalonians for the last time. Uh, more confidently, more optimistically than ever, to pursue holiness more wholeheartedly because we are more focused on trusting in the one who said that he will do that work in us. So turn with me if you haven't already. Let's look at the text. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 through 24. Paul is wrapping up the book, as you know, and in so doing, he gives us a lot to chew on in these two verses. Read it with me. He says... Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. A lot of commentaries call this a wish prayer, meaning it is what Paul hopes 
for the Thessalonians, and so he is calling on God to accomplish it. It certainly has something to do with what we saw earlier in chapter five. Remember that there was that long list of things that Paul said that they should be working on. There were 17 different things that Paul mentioned that they should do for their sanctification. Things like admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, always seek good to do, to do good to one another and to everyone. So he has this long list and then he ends it all with, may God sanctify you completely. It's also, really summarizing what Paul would hope that they would do after reading his entire letter. Uh, Since it's our last time studying it, why don't we glance through the book from the beginning? Let's look back at 1 Thessalonians, starting at chapter 1. You remember Paul started by thanking God for how the Thessalonians were doing. They had responded to the gospel, they were bearing fruit, and it was evident to all the Christians in the region. And then Paul started talking about his experience when he came to them. You can see that in the heading of chapter two, where it says Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians. And then you might remember he talked about how his motives when he came to them, they were pure motives, good motives. And then he talked about how he cared deeply about them and how he longed to see them. You see another heading there, Paul's longing to see them again in chapter two. And then that carries us into the end of chapter three where Paul cares to hear about how they're doing. Timothy gives them that report. And then in chapter four, there's a switch in focus. You'll see that from chapter four on to the end of the book, Paul is now giving instructions. He's giving clarifications that are helping them know how that they should live. I mean, really, in summary, it's this is the way you should live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. You should live a holy life. Uh, A key verse would be chapter four, verse three. Read it with me, chapter four, verse three, where it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he talks very specifically about what that looks like with sexual purity. And then he talked about how they should be loving each other. And then how in light of Jesus' return, they should be encouraged. They should be you know, living a holy life. They should be like children of the day, not like children of the night. And then we got to the end of chapter five and he gave those lists of 17 different things that they should be doing. So clearly there's two movements in the book, right? We have the first part, which is talking about the Thessalonians and his experience with them, like a testimonial kind of aspect of the book. Then the second half of the book is what Paul is wanting them to know and to do, how it should impact their life. Well, before we got to that second part of the book, there was a prayer that you might remember at the end of chapter three. Let's look at that. At the end of chapter three, verse 11, there's a prayer that actually sounds a little bit similar to what we find at the end of the book. It says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So similarities there, we can see where he is calling on God. It's again, it's like a wish prayer, calling on God to make them have a certain kind of love, to increase their love, to make them more blameless in the sight of God before the coming of our Lord Jesus. 
So we have this prayer here, then we have the instructions towards the end of the book, and then it closes with another prayer. So it's like these prayers form a bracket around the instructions that Paul gives. And the brackets have a very clear message. And that message is the fact that God is doing the work in the Thessalonians' lives. It is God who is going to be doing the sanctifying. So the flow of this last part of the book is really God does the sanctifying, get sanctified, God does the sanctifying. And what an encouraging truth for Paul to emphasize, to wrap his instructions in, and to end on right after that, that long list of things that they should be doing, that God is the one doing the work. It's like you can picture these words, like they're grabbing them by the shoulders, giving them a little shake, looking them in the eye and saying, God's got this. You know, you are not on your own when it comes to being sanctified. God is there with you. He is going to help you and make no mistake, he will. And that's not just an encouraging truth for the Thessalonians. What an encouraging truth for us. Because so often we, we read God's word, we study God's word, we hear it taught, and we feel like there are 17 things that we need to work on today. There is so many things that we wanna do to be more holy, so much progress that we need to make, and we can get discouraged. We can feel like there's just too much. How am I ever going to be able to do all these things that God wants me to do? And it's like we need these truths to shake us in the shoulders, to look us in the eye and say, God's got this. God is going to be doing this sanctifying work in you. He is the real mastermind of sanctification. When it comes to our spiritual progress, we need to remember who's in charge. That's point number one, remember who's in charge. We clearly hear that emphasis in verse 23. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. It would have been enough to say, may the God of peace sanctify you. That would have been sufficient, but there's that added emphasis. May the God of peace himself sanctify you. Of course, you know, sanctification, sanctify means to make more holy. So we have the author of holiness. We have the one who defines holiness, who is going to make us more holy. It's a little like if I were to say to you, Joanna Gaines is going to come to your kitchen and she is going to make it look beautiful. Joanna herself, or I'm like, you know, Willy Wonka. He's gonna be the one making the chocolate for the party. Willy himself. It's like the master is going to come and do what they do best. God is certainly the master of holiness, and he is going to be the one doing the sanctifying. And I, I don't know if, if Joanna or Willie would show up, right? If they had a job to do, I don't know if they would. But God will show up. God will show up and God will sanctify. Our sanctification is as sure as our salvation. That's what should come to mind when we read verse 24. And it says, he who calls you is faithful. 
If he has called you, if he's saved you, if he's called you to be his child, if he's forgiven you, if he's started something with you, started a relationship with you, he's not going to ditch you. He's going to complete that thing that he started in your life. Like Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He started this work in us at salvation. He's going to fully complete it at glorification, that time when we are made perfectly holy, when we are made sinless for the rest of eternity. So we have salvation, we have glorification, but in between is this process of sanctification. And God is in charge of every single one of those processes. He was effective, he will be effective, and he is effectively in the process of sanctifying you. And no matter how many times we thought of that, it is always mind-blowing. Mind-blowing to think about the work that God is doing in our lives. And not just that, but to think, somehow that comes together with the work that we're supposed to do. Because we know that our lives very much matter. How we live does matter. And somehow that meshes with the fact that God is doing this work in us. A great passage that brings these two truths together is Hebrews 13. If you want to turn there with me to Hebrews chapter 13. And what we see in this passage is not only that God works in us to sanctify us, but even a step before that, he gives us everything that we need to be holy. Hebrews chapter 13, I'm going to read verse 20 and 21. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we got to do his will, but it says he will equip us with everything good that we need to do his will. We got to live pleasing, live pleasing in his sight, it says. But it says that he is working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. And think about it. If God didn't give you what you needed to be holy, you wouldn't have what you need. And if he didn't work that in you, you wouldn't be working it out yourself. God is in charge of this process. One more passage. You don't need to turn there. You know it well. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So we're supposed to live out our salvation. We're supposed to prove that we're saved by our lives. Then verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's that tension right there, side by side, that we're supposed to work out our salvation. We're supposed to be living it out. But right next to that is the fact that it is God who is in us, who is working for his good pleasure. He's doing it alongside the work that he tells us to do. And that should really impact our spiritual thermometer. You know that sense that we have, that feeling that we have about how we're doing spiritually. And we pay attention to that. I mean, if we are Christians, we want to please God and we, we want to do it well. We really want to. 
And so we have these feelings about how that's going. And sometimes it's going well and we feel great. Might even just had a, a great quiet time. Or we're like, yeah, things are going well. I'm, I'm doing well spiritually. But then we have a, a bad moment. We maybe say something that we shouldn't. We sin in some way and then we're down about it. it kind of like a ping pong ball. We're like up and down and up and down how we feel like we're doing. Let your spiritual thermometer read the fact that God is in charge of all of this. Yes, it matters how you live, and there's going to be times where you're going to mess up, but after you mess up, you get back up, you repent, and you join God in the process in what he is continuing, what he's been continuing all along to do in your life. And when you keep your focus there on the fact that he's in charge, it keeps you out of two ditches that we can often find ourselves in. One of those is pride. When we are doing well, when we're trucking along, we're feeling like things are going as they should, that's when it's easy to look around and think, I, I got this holiness thing down. I mean, it's not that hard, people. Come on, just do the right thing. It's not a big deal. Just do what I'm doing. But then there's that other ditch, it's that ditch where it feels like I'm never going to make the progress that I need to make. There's so much work I need to do. I just get discouraged. We get down about how we're doing. Sometimes it even gets worse. We go from discouragement all the way down to despair. I'm sure you know people who've struggled with this, or maybe you have at times, where you know you've turned from your sin. You know you're trusting in Jesus. You know you're trying to live for him, but you still sin and that just brings you down so far that you start thinking, I don't know. I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. I still have these sin issues that I'm working on. And both of those, this extreme and that extreme, what it really comes down to is we end up focusing on ourselves and we're not focusing on the one who's in charge. It reminds me of this device, this ice skating device that I was introduced to at the Compass New Year's Eve party. You know, at 9 to 12, we go ice skating, and they had this fabulous new thing that I had never seen before. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's this large green plastic thing that's like a walker that goes on ice, that glides on the ice. It wasn't for me, but I have uh, four daughters, as you know, and a couple of them skate like Bambi on ice, if you remember what that was like. <laughs> Especially the youngest one. I mean, she couldn't even do the walker on her own, the little glider thing. So we get there, and what I do is I put my arms towards the front, and her little arms are over my arms. So basically, I am holding her up. I mean, she is entirely secure. And so I am pushing her around on the ice. We are gliding all over, going through the crowds, doing these little turns. She's like, woohoo, this is so much fun. I'm ice skating. Well, how easy it would have been for her to fall into one of those two ditches, you know, to look over at her fellow four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, and be like, psh, this is so easy. What's wrong with you people? Why can't you just skate like I can? And of course, in that moment, I would look at her and say, 
I don't know about that. I think I'm the one doing the skating. I mean, yes, you're trying to keep your skates facing forward. You're trying to keep your balance a little bit. But I am definitely the one in charge here, right? I am the one making this happen. Or she could have gone the other way. I am never going to be able to skate. This is so hard. I can't do this. She looks around. She's like, am I even skating? Am I even on this ice? And of course, in that moment, I would look at her and say, look around. Yes, you are. I have got you. I have got you securely. I am helping you. Come on, put one foot in front of the other, and I will lead you in the direction that you should go. Either way, when she gets self-focused, when she starts overanalyzing herself, she gets herself into trouble. She needs to look behind her, see that her mom, who very much loves her, has her securely in her arms, and I am helping her in the process. And I'm saying, come on, if you trust in me, we will get going, one foot in front of the other. And aren't those the games that we play with our sanctification? When we are doing well, it's so easy to think that it's us, but it is God who's got the real moves. And when he's doing that in our life, we should be looking to him, thanking him, praising him. Thank you, God, for equipping me with what I need to be holy. Thank you, God, for working these things out in my life. And then on the other end, not freaking out because we still have sin issues to work on. Of course we do. God knows that. And I just think how often we are probably so fixated on this one issue that we keep trying to focus on and we keep trying to fix and thinking, is anything even happening in my life? Am I even making any progress? And for all we know, God is working in our lives in like 10 other areas that we are unaware of, 10 different heart issues that we have, different sins that he is working out in our lives, and we are freaking out because we're focusing in on this one thing. We've got to stop freaking out. We need to be more level-headed when it comes to our spiritual success, looking to him, trusting in him. And as we do, we will end up making more progress as we look to what he's doing and just put one foot in front of the other. Remembering he's in charge. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The question often becomes at that point when you really take that in, well, if God is doing this work, can't I just sit back and relax a little bit? Can't I just let him do what he's going to do? And that is a very interesting philosophical question to ponder for a couple of minutes. But the spiritual reality is a real Christian would never do that for so many reasons. But one in particular is a real Christian loves God and wants to do what God wants them to do, and wants to do as much as they can of what God wants them to do. And of course, that's holiness, and that's basically what Paul prays for the Thessalonians, that they will do more of it. Let's turn back there and see what Paul prays for the Thessalonians, focusing specifically on the second part of verse 23. So he says in verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wants them to have so much holiness that it impacts every inch of their being. Whole spirit and soul and body. Be kept blameless, to be without blame, without fault, to be holy at the coming of our Lord Jesus, which is what we've seen throughout the book, that because Jesus is gonna be coming back soon, we should be living a holy life now. Two interesting words that I wanna draw your attention to. The words completely and whole. So it sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. So both the words completely and whole, they start with the same Greek sound. So if you were to read this in Greek, there would be an alliteration going on. It's a little like saying, may God sanctify you wholly, meaning like fully in the whole kind of way, completely. So may he sanctify you wholly and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. So it would have a ring to it if you were to read it, but it also carries some emphasis there on the word whole. But what makes it even more genius is the meaning in those words, is that identical? Completely does mean in the whole kind of way, in all its fullness, completely. And of course, our whole spirit. So the point is, the whole part of us, the complete thing, the full thing is meant to be holy. So what Paul wants for the Thessalonians, it's what God wants, and it should certainly be what we want. So in the words of this passage, let's point number two, let's aim for whole holiness. Spirit and soul and body, Paul says, every part, part of us, the entirety of our being. And it doesn't, uh, the text is not trying to communicate that we're made up of three parts. And we know that because there's plenty of places throughout scripture where different words are mentioned. Like when Jesus says the greatest commandment is that we should love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. So those four right there, and they're not all the same. The only overlap is soul, but it also has our mind and our strength and our heart. Or in Deuteronomy 6, it says that we're supposed to love God with our heart, soul, and might. And so there's three diff a combination of three different ones. The point is just all of us, completely, in our entirety. Like when it came to those passages on love, you should love God with all that you are. And when it comes to your holiness, it should be the kind of holiness that impacts all that you are. The things that people see, the things that people don't see. The way you think, the things you care about, the way you talk, what you do, every part of you. In terms of complete holiness, you think from the moment you wake up in the morning to when your head hits the pillow, did you try to do everything you could exactly as God would want you to? You did everything you did because you wanted to please God. And that should be our aim. Three quick subpoints on making this our aim. Letter A would be to keep high standards. Keep high standards. If we want to have our whole spirit and body and soul be kept blameless, we've got to focus on what that means to God. Not what we've always done, not what other people are doing, not what's acceptable. God's standard is our standard. Like 1 Peter 1.15 says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
So in the same way that he is holy, you are supposed to be holy in all your conduct. It means the most godly person in this room still has room to grow. It means every single one of us should be learning all we can from God's words about what his standards are, and we are doing all that we can to live it out. And it means our standard, it's not I should do less worrying. It's I should try to not worry about anything. I'm not trying to go for less gossiping. I'm going for not letting any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth. I'm not going for raising my kids better than the next family. I'm trying to raise them in the fear of the Lord. I'm not trying to be just a decent wife, a good wife. I'm trying to be the perfect helpmate for my husband. And a side note, but it is worth saying, when we think of high standards, it's easy to think rules, rules, rules. That's where our mind goes. But to remember that this is the good life. I mean, yes, saying no to sin is painful. Going against the grain is hard but it's living the way God meant you to live. It is living without the weight of sin dragging you down. It's the free life in a sense. So that is what we are aiming for. Letter B, coupled with the fact that God is working in you to sanctify you, you should make sure to obey God's promptings. Letter B, obey God's promptings. If God wants holiness in you, and he does, he is going to work that in you. He's going to give you opportunities to do that. He's going to prompt you in different ways where you're going to notice that you have the opportunity to do what God wants you to do. God's spirit's in you, and you want to be attuned to that work that he's doing so that when you see it, when you notice it, you respond right. You say yes to righteousness. There's really two options in scripture. We can walk by the spirit, or we can walk in the flesh the way Galatians 5 talks about it. Galatians 5, 16 says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And in that text, it gives some more synonyms for what does that really mean to walk by the spirit? Paul says two verses later, Galatians 5, 18, but if you are led by the spirit, or a few verses later, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So we have four different phrases basically meaning the same thing. We can walk by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. The idea is the Spirit is in us. He's trying to move us forward in holiness. And we should be responding right. We should be following the work that he's doing, not fighting against that work. And so when we notice that we're about to have some kind of outburst of anger and we, in that moment, remember, wait, I should be self-controlled. I should be patient. We remember that and we stop and we obey. When we notice that in our heart is bubbling up this kind of bitterness, uh, a lack of forgiveness that we have, we see that in our heart and we remember that we're supposed to forgive as God forgave us and we're supposed to be gracious and we're supposed to be loving. We're supposed to forgive. Then we ask God, God, help me to have the kind of heart that you want me to have. We seek to do the things that God wants us to do because if we want this holiness, God wants this holiness. He's gonna give us those opportunities and we should move forward each opportunity that we get. And not doing so, 
is as silly as when my girls make these really lofty claims that they just don't live up to. The most recent one is we want to play club volleyball. We want volleyball to be our sport. And that might not sound very lofty. However, I've noticed that it had interest, and so I've sent them to just once a week at the YMCA doing these basic hour-long lessons. And then I notice that all week long, they don't practice the things that they've learned. And so I'm thinking, you want me to put time and money into getting you into club volleyball when you've learned for an hour a week, you think it's fun, but then you do nothing with it the entire week? Uh-uh, that is not happening. And so some of them have heard me talk about this, and so they are now in the backyard coming up with stations to learn the different skills that they have learned at their little lesson. But there's still this one who says she wants to play club volleyball, and so I give her these promptings, these little nudges. Why don't you go out there? You should go practice with your sisters. No, I don't want to. Come on, you should go out there. You should practice. No. So I say, okay, fine. I'll practice with you. Come on, I'll, I'll go help you out there. She says, I don't want to get on my shoes. What? You don't want to get on your shoes? Like, I thought you wanted to play club volleyball. Clearly, if this girl cared about it, these promptings that I'm giving her would line up with her desires and she would go do it. She would want it. If you care about holiness, if you care about whole holiness completely, when the Spirit is prompting you, when He's giving you those opportunities and they're right there in front of you, if you really want it, you got to take that opportunity. He's giving you that practice, and really that practice is what's making you more holy. In that moment, as you respond right, you are becoming more sanctified. So that next opportunity that you get, when you notice it, you take it and you do it. And letter C, if you want to aim for complete holiness, don't ignore any sin. Or you could write it down as don't hide your sin. We all have those areas that are hard, that we would like to ignore or that we would like to hide. Uh, they could be heart issues that are deep in there. They could be habits that you have formed over the years. But if you want that whole holiness, that means that you're, you are going to care about the crevices that are in your heart. You're not going to pretend that it's not there. You know, picture your dirty bathroom corners. Is that just me? I don't know. The, the spots in your bathroom that don't quite get cleaned like they should. Maybe under the cabinet in the corner or behind the toilet in the corner. If you're really going for complete cleanliness, you're not going to put a piece of furniture in front of it. And you're certainly not going to ignore it. You're going to deal with it. And the thing is, when it comes to our sin the one that you are trying to please, the one that wants complete holiness in you, he sees it already. Psalm 69, five says, O oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. It's not hidden from him. So why would we hide it? Let's not hide it, let's deal with it. Let's admit it. 
Let's find a godly friend and tell her so that she can help us, so that she can encourage you in this process, so she can keep you accountable. And often, why would we not do a thing like that? Because we, we care too much about what that person thinks when we should be caring more what God thinks. So let's get the help that we need. Let's deal with those things, whatever it is that's in us, that it's making us not fully holy, that's in us that we should just get out there and deal with, bring it into the light. And then there's times where it's not the stuff that we wanna hide, but there's that stuff that we just don't wanna deal with because it's hard to deal with. Maybe we've tried to fight something before and we notice it just doesn't go away instantly. It seems like it's a process and it's a far too long of a process that we don't wanna deal with it. But we've gotta be willing to do that hard work and it, of course it's hard, right? We are still sinful people. Until we are glorified, we have sin that we are going to deal with. But we should do that hard work with so much hope, with confidence, with crazy optimism in a sense, because we know that our efforts are bringing about progress because we can head to that next level of holiness. Not because we're awesome, but because as we are working on it, God is working in us. And without a doubt, he will do it. He is faithful, it says. He will do it. Point number three, tackle holiness with hope. Our efforts are going to work because we are joining God in what he's doing. So we tackle it. We get to work on it. We take it on. And even if you know nothing about sports, you can imagine the imagery of tackling, right? A bunch of football players, and they're running after something. Something, someone, I don't know, but there they are, and they're going to attack something. And that's the way we should be with our holiness. Every part of us rises up and we run after it. We run after whatever it is that we need to do to make ourselves more holy. And knowing that it will work because God is behind it. And we don't just see that in 1 Thessalonians 5. We see it all throughout the Bible. We read these big statements like, God will give us strength. He will guide us. He will equip us. He will help us. He gives us his power. Let's look at a couple of those passages. Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, Paul, uh, Peter is writing to Christians who are suffering for their faith. I want you to listen to the hope that he gives them about how God will help them. So 1 Peter 5 verse 10 says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What hope that must have brought to those who really needed it at that time. And that same hope is available for us. As we are tackling holiness, as we're fighting to be the women that God wants us to be, we certainly will have him restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. Let's go forward one chapter to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. As if that list in 1 Peter wasn't all-encompassing enough, 
we read this in 2 Peter 1.3. Peter says, his divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Those who know God have his divine power giving us all things that we need for life and godliness. And the passages could go on and on, reminding us that God gives us all that we need to be successful in sanctification. And more than that, that he will be successful in our sanctification. So I think of times when I'm in my small group, we've just, we've heard a sermon and now we've discussed it and I know something that I need to work on. That thing can sometimes weigh so heavily where it's so tempting to get discouraged in that moment, to think, oh, how am I going to do another thing? How am I gonna find more time or energy to do more evangelism or to do more prayer or to spend more time on discipleship or whatever the thing is? But then I have got to think in that moment that if this is something that God wants me to do, if this is something he's calling me to do to be more completely holy, he is gonna help me do this. He is not overwhelmed by this new revelation that I've had that I need to work on this. It's like I can picture him saying, here, get up, I've got you. I can help you do this, you can do this. And I can go to bed that night at peace, wake up, pray the next day, God, I wanna please you in this. I wanna do this thing that I think you want me to do to be more holy and then be ready because he's gonna give me that opportunity to grow in the ways that he wants me to grow. I can have hope in that, not get all down on myself, but trust in him. Move forward with confidence that he will help. It's like that old phrase, it's in the bag. I'm sure you've heard that before, where someone might ask the question, you know, did you get that job or did you get that promotion? And you're like, it's in the back. Or you're watching some team play a sport and you're like, oh yeah, the win is in the bag. Just means that success is sure. Success is secured. Do you know where that phrase comes from? I had no idea. So I looked it up. It's a baseball phrase. And it came from 1916 with the New York Giants, now the San Francisco Giants. And they were having this major winning streak, like 26 wins in a row. And I know nothing about baseball, but I know that's good. And so they started doing this crazy thing to secure their win, supposedly. Uh, a little background, in case you don't know baseball, like I don't know baseball. Uh, what they would do at that time is each game they would bring this bag of balls and they would put it on the field. And it would be there for when you needed a new ball. If the ball got too dirty or the ball, you know, home run or whatever, they needed a new ball, they would be able to get it out of this ball bag. So what they did to secure the win, as they got towards the end of the game, if they were up, if they were winning, a player would come on the field and they would take that bag of balls before the game was even over and they would walk off. And the idea was no more balls are needed. The game is as good as one. Let's close up. We have got this. We've won. 
It even turned into a kind of a superstition, as if like the win was actually in the bag, and because it was in the bag, it can't come out of the bag, and so they can't lose. I guess baseball players have a little superstition or something. As silly as that is, and I'm sure they learned that it did not work. Eventually, their winning streak stopped, and it was no longer in the bag. But as silly as that was, the phrase and its very distinct meaning stuck. That something is absolutely sure to happen. That success is guaranteed. And when it comes to our spiritual success, our sanctification, we are surely not betting against the odds of baseball. We are trusting in a God who is faithful. And in American lingo, sanctification is in the bag. It is absolutely sure it's as good as done because God is in charge. And that should bring us so much hope. That should bring us so much encouragement. That should motivate us to want to pursue holiness all the more because we know that as we work, God is working. And so it will work. Our efforts absolutely will produce fruit. And it should keep us humble and it should keep us out of the ditch of discouragement because we are looking to him. We are trusting in him and we are moving forward anticipating with great anticipation all that he is going to do in our lives. As I mentioned earlier, this is quite the offer. God saying he will sanctify us. In fact, this is probably the best offer you will ever get. So take God up on it. Sanctification guaranteed. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the book of 1 Thessalonians and the encouragement it has been to us all along in so many different ways. I thank you for these encouraging words that Paul ended on in this book, just these last two verses right there at the end, this chunk, this prayer that he had, that remind us that you are the real mastermind in our sanctification. God, we want to be godly women. We know we have work to do. There are so many things that we learn that we know we should be moving forward in, that we should be following, in, uh, following you in, that we should be fighting sin, all these things that you want us to do. But God, I pray that we would not be like a ping pong ball all over the place thinking so much about how we're doing when we should really be, as we're working, focusing on you, trusting in you, knowing that you will help us in this process. And as we look to you, we can move forward even faster, trusting in you. So God, help us to become more sanctified as you do that work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed to your groups.